Hi, everybody. I'm Patrick McEnroe, and this is Holding Court. Hello. All right, another edition here of Holding Court, and uh, we switch topics a little bit today. We did a bunch of tennis in the last uh, couple of days, a lot of tennis news going on, but well, we'll touch on tennis in this one, but uh, we're going to get into more of what's going on in the world of the NCAA uh, and the NILs, which if you don't know, are uh, referred to names, image, and likeness, which is going on now in big time college sports. So we're going to jump into this topic. I don't know that much about it, uh, but the gentleman I'm about to introduce knows a lot about it. That's Mr. Richard Kent. He's a long time attorney in this part of the country where I live, New York, Connecticut, a sports lawyer for many years, a professor now at Manhattanville College, which is close to where I live, up in Fairfield, Connecticut at Fairfield University. And uh, I wasn't aware, Richard, that you've also written a couple of books on tennis. So I, I, clear, I clearly I need to do a little bit more homework. But so tell me first about the two tennis books you wrote before we get into this NIL issue uh, in college sports, please. And welcome. Thank you for doing this. Oh, no problem. Well, don't I have to tell you who wrote the forwards? One, John P. McEnroe. <laughs> there you go. Your that, dad. Yeah, that, that's where the connection with my dad came. I know you knew my dad for many years. and you Yes. And you're, you're a good man, and, and from above, he's smiling because you called him John P. McEnroe. You didn't, Correct. You didn't add senior, as many people do, which, of course, pissed him off for years and years. No, I'm not senior. John is junior, he used to say. So when he proofread my Inside the U.S. Open, which took one inside the media room, inside the players' lounge, uh, outside the doping room, and stuff like Mm, that. mm -hmm. He had, the book was 153 pages. He had 155 little clips on the pages with corrections. Yeah, that sounds like him. Yes, and I've I've saved the clips. I'm going to sell them on eBay someday. (laughs) I'm going to have you sign them. Yeah, get John to sign them too, right? Yeah, he used to do that with all of us. No, just you. Yeah, just me. He used to do it with all the... uh, you know, when I did a couple books, uh, I think John got too smart as he got older and didn't even let him get a crack at it. But, you know, I needed the help or when I did a con, you know, he used to always, he used to drive our agents crazy because, you know, they do these contracts and he just tear them to shreds. But uh, that was years of being a big time attorney. So, you know, these, these guys were playing tiddlywinks compared to him when it came to uh, perusing contracts. No doubt about that. All right, so let's talk a little bit about um, this NIL issue, because I know you're right at the forefront of it. Uh, I listened to one of the interviews you did, I think it was back in February, with a couple of guys from Tennessee uh, about how that affected uh, the world at Tennessee specifically. By the way, they're kicking butt this year in football, so maybe the numbers for their players will go up. But just give my audience, if you could, because I think I don't think they'll know too much about this, just sort of the overview of what this means in big-time college sports, obviously, meaning football and basketball, and then how you think it will trickle down eventually. We'll get to this, you know, in the world of of the smaller sports, the non-revenue sports of, of course, tennis is one of them. And a lot of people who listen to this podcast will be very interested in potentially how this could affect collegiate tennis down the road. Absolutely. Let's go back a second to June of 2021. The United States Supreme Court, uh, nine to nothing. Think about that. Nine to nothing in a highly factionalized U.S. Supreme Court decides in the Austin case, NCAA, Austin versus NCAA, that student athletes are entitled to additional 
educational benefits. Mm-hmm. So when the NCAA lawyer said to uh, Justice Kavanaugh, yes, but they get a scholarship, Justice Kavanaugh said, okay, I understand that an NCAA basketball coach earns $9 million a year. That's Coach K. Right. I understand that an NCAA football coach earns $12 million a year, Nick Saban. And who is this Mark Emmert fellow? He runs the NCAA, and he makes $3.5 million. So you're telling me, Mr. Lawyer, right. that a scholarship suffices? Yeah, but they get... But but they get meals too, and they right. get hotel rooms and free oh, okay. and free books, right? And free books, yeah. Correct. So nine to nothing. Uh, Judge Justice Gorsuch wrote the opinion, and you've got Clarence Thomas and Sotomayor agreeing on an issue, there you which go. Is, they couldn't agree that today's Monday <laughs> and that your name right. is Patrick McEnroe. Right. Exactly. So that set the so, so, that, so that the wheels in motion for this to happen, and it seems like it's. Uh, I think it's you. You yourself said on this previous interview I heard you do. It's the Wild West. This was back in February. Is it still the Wild West? It's the Wilder West right now. It's a new world order. So what happened on July one is that thirty eight state legislatures enacted disparate bills. They're all different. Mm-hmm. And Michigan got pissed off because Alabama had a better bill and it was more facile to get players at Alabama than it was at Michigan. Texas, it became simple. And Texas A&M formed what we call collectives. That's what I do right now. Mm-hmm. And they formed a $55 million collective. So each football player got fifty grand towards the end of 2021. And the schools can't be involved. So they divvy so up. What so, that so, mean- yeah. So let me just stop you for a second. So they. So if you're on the football team at that university, no matter what position you play, where you are in the depth chart, you're getting the same money. You're getting a guaranteed fifty thousand. Okay. That's not to say that other players don't get more. Okay. So you're. So but even, there's a mandatory. There's a mandatory minimum. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So that's Texas A&M. Interesting. And we've got, we've got a quarterback whose name is Arch Manning, who's going to be at Texas next September, chose Texas right. over Mississippi and Tennessee. Tennessee. Right. And LSU. Isn't that where, didn't, didn't the dad go to LSU? Where did the Arch go? Yeah. The LSU. grandfather. The grandfather. The grandfather. Sorry. Right, 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 right. Correct. And I've been told anecdotally that the number will be between 10 and $15 million for him. Not, this is not pay for play. Right. So he can't get a check today, Okay. but he can get a check the day after he steps on campus in Austin. But there's got to be at least a modicum of a quid pro quo. The kid's got to do something. Five Instagram posts, an appearance on Patrick McEnroe's podcast. There you go. That'll something be good. like that. I mean, let me work yep. that. Yeah, work that for me, Richard. So, uh, so they have to do something. So that could be go to see, you know visit some kids at a at a school. You know, some local kids. Like uh, we used to do that at Stanford in tennis. We used to go and you know do it. By the way, we weren't getting paid, obviously, but I, we would go and do a clinic at the local. Uh, high school or something like that. So that type. So basically, anything like that, signing some autographs, could be the quid pro quo. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, um, well, that's interesting. So clearly, these players. In, and what about basketball? Is it starting to happen in basketball as well, or is it mostly just football? I'm. I would assume it's basketball too. No. It is absolutely men's college basketball, right. and it is also women's college basketball and you know don't forget sports like 
baseball, which is a revenue sport at many schools, lacrosse, mm-hmm. which is a yep. revenue sport at Maryland and other schools. So yes, it's it's not filtering down. It's happened from day one at those institutions with those additional sports. So where do, so where does this go? I mean, is this uh, is this going to be good overall? I mean, it's good for the athletes initially, right now, obviously. And there's so much money in in the big time college sports that at some point something had to give. So that's what's giving at the moment. Uh, will there ever come a time, in your opinion, that these uh, athletes will be signing some sort of contract to get paid? Like a salary, or it'll be all the it'll be all through the NIL. There's an effort right now that was started at Northwestern. A court shot it down a few years ago. It's been resurrected for uh, college athletes to unionize. So that's mm-hmm. a possibility. Right. There's also a lawsuit that was brought last week by an organization which represents college athletes for retroactive retroactive NIL money back to 2016 when the first case was brought. So that's pending at a federal court right now. And I kind of tracked post Alston uh, last June of 2021. And there's been about 10 lawsuits brought all decided in the federal system in favor of student athletes. Wow. So, um, so let me think about this for a second. Let me just try to play this out. So if I'm a big time athlete, let's say I'm a basketball player and, uh, you know, cause that's, that's the sport I think where most of the time you see the LeBron James types or the Kevin Durant, well, Durant went to college, but you know, those types of Kobe Bryant players that will bypass college and go right to the pros. So normally because, you know, obviously they're that good, they can get more, you know, basically make money earlier. So now if you're, let's say you're LeBron James, the next LeBron James, who's 17 at the moment, he could basically be making millions or guaranteed millions if he said, I'm going to go to Duke or Kentucky, as opposed to going into the NBA draft, correct? You've got a conflict there between entities like Overtime Elite and the G League once you turn 18 and spending a year at Kansas, Kentucky, or Duke. Where am I going to make more money? Where am I going to get more visibility? Where am I going to play against better competition? So that that is happening right now. But... The, the word the word that we really need to mention in the trenches right now is retention. Mm-hmm. This is a retention device for mid-majors. And we're, we're talking college basketball right now. Right, right. It is a retention device for the Bryants, the Fairfield Universities, the Quinnipiacs to keep kids. So let, let's, let's play this out. Let's take Quinnipiac, which is in Hamden, Connecticut. And they've got a decent program. Baker Dunleavy is a coach. He, he played and coached at Villanova under Jay Wright. Mm-hmm. Let's say a kid, a freshman there, goes there and blows up his freshman year. He's averaging 22 points a game right. and five assists a game as a point guard. Why? He is going to get picked at by the Xaviers, mm-hmm. the Marquettes, and the Minnesotas of this world. Right. So Quinnipiac better have a decent collective not formed by the university. The collectives are formed by the boosters. The boosters put money in a pot. Mm-hmm. They either direct it to a specific student athlete, the point guard on the basketball team, the free safety on the football team, 
or it goes into a general fund where a middleman helps allocate the money to the student athletes. Now, the, the, the cynical person, and I don't think cynicism is really too inaccurate right now, will say, well, wait a minute. When you're being recruited, you don't think there's a wink and a nod and a number that's put on a piece of paper that doesn't go anywhere in which the student athlete is going to get it after he or she enters the institution? The answer is, of course, that's going on. Mm-hmm. So I tell people what used to be under the table is on the table now. So what's going to prevent, uh, let's take this same example. So this kid's a freshman, has a great year at Quinnipiac. Um, this, and, you know, as you said, you know, the big bid majors, whether it's Butler, Gonzaga, whomever, I mean, aren't they going to have more in their piggy bank? Aren't they going to have more from their, bo- their much bigger boosters uh, as far as what they're going to be able to raise financially? So isn't it just going to be how much more can I get if I leave, if I leave Fairfield or leave a small school, um, how are they going to compete with that? Those schools? Yes. On the, on the left hand, it's going to be a bidding war, but on the right hand, there is comfort and the grass is not always greener. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's say the kid at Quinnipiac loves his head coach. Let's say the Quinnipiac, the kid at Quinnipiac has a girlfriend there and, 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 and wants to stay there. So you, you got to balance a couple of things. Let's say the kid is from an upper middle class family and may not need the the, the money as much. Yeah, and let's say he's going so to gonna be the star on his team, and if he goes to a Butler, he might be this you know eighth or ninth guy in the team, right? Well, it, it, chances are that whomever that kid is, if that kid really blew up his freshman year, is is going to be at least a starter. At you know what you've characterized as a mid, I, right. I don't I don't view really Butler, Gonzaga, and Xavier as mid majors. They're, I they're mean, bigger. They're, they're bigger. Yeah, they're power sixes in my mind. Gotcha. All right, so so let's get to the you know let's use tennis because that's my sport. And uh, but even even the other sports, the you know the non revenue sports, whether it's swimming, you know volleyball, where I when I went to Stanford, the, you know these are popular sports on campus. Indoor volleyball, uh, water polo, for example. You know swimming. We had some of the greatest swimmers in the world. You know elite swimmers that were Olympic swimmers. So how's uh, tennis? Obviously, you've got uh, high end potentially players that could go to the pros and you're starting to see more kids um, taking the college route than ever before. So how do you think this, this whole issue will affect those sports down the road? Interesting little rub in tennis because there is a bunch of foreign kids that are playing tennis in this country. I, I, I took a, a quick hard look at Ohio State. And you've got a problem there because kids are coming over here on what we call a student visa. Mm -hmm. And under the student visa, you're technically not allowed to earn money. Mm. Okay. So there's workarounds right now. They are crazy. I've actually been involved in a couple in which billboards... Let's say a kid is coming over here from Serbia to play tennis. Very common. A billboard is being... Right. A billboard is put up in Serbia and the kid is getting paid in Serbia Mm. to advertise whomever or whatever in Serbia. Just so long as the money is not coming from an entity in this country, that is that is huge in Canadian kids coming over here to play college basketball. And there's loads of them. But going back to your tennis example, I, I believe your brother went to Stanford for a year, right? Correct. Right, and you and you and you and you went the full four years, right? Correct. 
right. So when you when you've got a when you've got a player, you know that that's not John McEnroe that you know that could be, you know, number one fifty in the world. Right. That kid may be better off if there's some rich tennis alumni at Stanford or UCLA or Ohio State that are willing to give that kid X amount of dollars, you know, to stay for a year because Mm. college tennis at the highest level is a pretty high level. And by the way, you've got to continue with Fit Biomics with Nella. I've been taking it. It is absolutely amazing. Okay. And... I want you to go to the website, fitbiomics.com, and I want you to put in the code for Nella, PMAC25, P-M-A-C-25, and get your discount. Because I know there was a time this summer when it wasn't in stock, but it's back. That's because everybody loves it. So keep it going. I've been taking it for the last few months, feeling amazing. Still got to work on my sugar intake. Cut that down. I'm going to get there. But Nella, the product, is next level. So again, use the code PMAC25 and you will be locked in. College tennis at the very highest level is like equivalent to like triple A tennis, you know, like the challenger circuit in tennis. So you'll see guys from college uh, can go out and, you know, are they, are they at the level where they can compete week in, week out on the ATP tour? Not yet, but, you know, usually within, you know, this is a top five or six guys. So you know, once you get past maybe five to 10, it, it drops down. But definitely at the very top, you know, let's say from the quarterfinals on of the NCAA tournament, you got guys that can definitely compete at that moment on the challenger tour, which is just a rung below uh, the main tour. And then you're seeing guys that, you know, once they get out there a couple of years, you know, they can like maybe become top hundred, maybe even top 50 players. Correct. I mean, isn't there even a, I think I read this or so. Isn't there even a kid at Columbia right now, uh, Columbia university in New York, uh, who's playing number one, who's a top flight player. Uh, I mean, all the guys that will play one at those schools are top and we're top juniors. Whether they make the transition to the pros is up up for debate. You know, I say they don't. Right. You know, this kid JJ Wolf actually played at Ohio State for a couple of years. He played. He was uh, probably there two or three years. So now, after a couple of years on the tour, he's just starting to make his move on the tour. So he wasn't, you know, number one in college. Like he was, he was one of the top college. Maybe he was one number one at one point, but he was one of, you know, five or six kids. So uh, generally, you know, two or three of them make it to the top of the men's game. I mean, that's usually how it works. Not most of them don't, but a few of them will. So he's one, you know, Mackie McDonald played at UCLA uh, for a couple of years. He's a little bit older now. Uh, I'm trying to think of the guys who are currently in college. Uh, well, the kid from um, George, uh, from, from Florida, Ben Shelton. His dad played on the tour right. with me, Brian Shelton. His dad's a coach. So he's a perfect example of a kid who's, uh, you know, started out playing four or five on the team in his freshman year and, you know, ends up winning the NCAAs his past year, I believe, as a sophomore and now has turned pro. But I could see your point where somebody like that because it's 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 extremely hard in the in pro tennis to be able to make money early on. 
you know, obviously someone like him is probably getting some guaranteed money from some agents or some uh, clothing or, or racket manufacturers, but most people aren't going to get that. So the idea of staying in school another year or so, if you can make some money, and obviously you have great coaches in college, great facilities, and it's all for free. Whereas once you go on the tour, you're on your own. You know, it's not like getting right. signed by a team in the NBA or even in baseball if you're a high school kid and you get you get um, uh, drafted to play in Major League Baseball and you go into, you know, one of the farm teams for one of the Major League teams. You know, everything's paid for. You know, might, might not make any money at that point. But right. in tennis, you basically have to pay for everything yourself. So, so I guess what I'm hearing from you, because I've been kind of worried about this, thinking that the big sports are going to get so big, um, and, and we saw this sort of, sort of happen, I think, in the last five years or so, 10 years, where some schools, even Stanford being one of them, got rid of, at least temporarily before there was alumni backlash, got rid of a bunch of those secondary sports for financial reasons. And I'm thinking big picture, the reason is because they have to spend more money to compete in football and basketball. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I guess what you're saying is, you know, should should tennis fans, because I deal with a lot of parents now through our own academy uh, in New York and just, you know, people that are involved in tennis or kids play high level junior tennis thinking, you know, first it was a foreigner's players taking their scholarship spots. Now, is this going to trickle down to where, you know, are, are, are some schools going to get rid of tennis? As a as a as a big time program at a big time school. Well, I mean, un- unfortunately, and I, I use the unfortunately uh, advisedly because I, I believe very much in Title Nine in 1972. But a lot of tennis programs, a lot of baseball programs, baseball at Providence, tennis at Rutgers were slashed because men's tennis because of the necessity. Uh, of keeping an equal number of scholarships for women and men, given the problem with football, right. you know, being something right. that can't be replicated in, in women's sports. Right. So, but, but one, one thing we need to note here is that title nine is not implicated because the universities are not technically involved here. So every football player could earn X amount of dollars and every men's basketball player could, but, but a stink could not be made by women's athletes until the school becomes involved. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, you asked what's on the forefront, what's happening, what's going to happen. Number one, there's going to be federal legislation. I actually worked with Joe Manchin and Tommy Tuberville on a bill that's going to be introduced, I was told, uh, in January of 2023, which is going to be uniform for all states regarding NIL. So you won't have an advantage with NIL in one state over another. And I would say if you and I have this conversation three years from now, the schools will be involved. The schools will be paying players. And I truly believe that at least in the power five and the biggest power five, the SEC and the big 10, the student athletes in all sports, I emphasize all sports will be getting a portion of the television revenue. Mm, wow, that'd be a game changer. So you're you're predicting then that at, at the moment the schools themselves aren't involved technically or financially, even though it's sort of 
I, well, I guess it's not even it's it's set up through a mediator, right? If you know kids go to sign autographs at the local five and dime, right, in in uh, a big time uh, college uh, town, right? So the school's not involved, but you're saying that you think at some point the school will get involved in that. The schools will be permitted by federal legislation to be involved. The only involvement the schools have, and, and by the way, we've ignored completely the fact that the NCAA dropped the ball. They've done nothing. They could have issued regs on July 1 of 2021 and solved a lot of these problems. They basically sat on their hands and did nothing, and they forced state legislatures to do this. So the only involvement from schools right now is that they've, they've made an edict, and it's been filed, that kids can't be repping gambling uh, products, you know, like DraftKings or something like right, that, right. alcohol products or, 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 or cigarette products. Other than that, yes, car dealerships, mm-hmm. the YMCA. And by the way, the YMCA raises another issue. Can we get these collectives to be 501c3s and get a deduction mm. for making payments? Right. So if, if you're, if you're, giving money to the local Y, you're getting a deduction for it. And the Y is paying these kids because they're doing some promotional stuff for the, for the YMCA in Omaha, Nebraska, then you might even be able to get a deduction on it. So what would be your advice, Richard, uh, to the college coach at uh, a university? It could be any, you know, even a big time tennis university where, where they, you know, they rely on boosters or, um, the local community. What would your your be your advice be now to those coaches to maintain and sustain healthy collegiate tennis programs around the country? Well, in order in order for them to be able to compete on a level with all other schools, they they've got to work the same way that the college football and basketball coaches are working with the NIL collectives at their school, with the boosters that have formed the collectives, and raise money from their alumni, raise money from their donors, raise money from the community, and be in a position to assist student-athletes after they step on campus and to preserve their eligibility at their school so they won't leave and play at another school. So basically, it's essentially doing what they've been doing, but just, just do it better. I mean, it's just be getting, it's going to get more competitive from the side, the angle of support from the alumni, from the boosters and more ways to entice your players. And as you said earlier, most importantly, to retain them once they play a year or two at your school, right? Correct. The retention issue is not as prevalent and pervasive in football, let's say at Alabama or Ohio State, and in basketball at Kansas, Kentucky, and Duke. But it is at, at the vast majority of schools, the bottom of the Big Ten, the bottom of the ACC, and, you know, all, all the mid-majors. And, you know, I, I think another topic which will be of interest to your listeners, because I assume you've got uh, a number of Ivy League uh, listeners as well, is the fact that, and I was involved in this, there was an antitrust exemption, which the Ivy League 
received in 1995 by virtue of a bill introduced by Howard Metzenbaum from Ohio and Ted Kennedy from Massachusetts. And the Ivy League has used that since 95 in order to stop the movement for scholarships, just scholarships Mm -hmm. for student athletes. There's only eight schools in the country that don't permit scholarships, and that's the eight Ivy League schools. And some of them play big-time athletics, certainly in lacrosse and soccer and other sports. So the antitrust exemption, Congress was lobbied, and the antitrust exemption expired on September 30 of this year. So the Ivy Leagues are at a crossroads right now. Mm. They're either going to do this voluntarily, or a student athlete is going to bring a lawsuit And under the language, additional educational benefits, which was put in by Brett Kavanaugh, they're going to be forced to offer not only athletic, Mm. but academic scholarships. In other words, if the best pianist in the country goes to Harvard, either he or she can't get an academic scholarship, which is arcane from my perspective. And the only way to get a, uh, is to get financial aid at those institutions, which is obviously important, but that would be, that would be a game changer for a sport like tennis. Cause as you said, I mean, there's a, yeah, a lot of kids at our Academy and actually what we're seeing, what I'm seeing in the last few years in tennis is the Ivies are actually getting stronger in tennis because a lot of kids that are top level juniors are realizing that it's probably unlikely they're going to make it in the pros right? Because it's getting that much harder to make it in the pros. So instead of going to just a big time tennis school, you know, I'm putting that in parentheses and quotes, they're going to go to an, a, a, an Ivy league school and get the education that they can get there. And the, you know, you don't need that many, you know, two or three players can make a huge difference on a tennis team, right? Uh, if you get them at the top of the lineup, you get six singles players, three doubles. So we're, I, I, I'm just seeing just myself more, you know, you mentioned the kid from Columbia, you know, Harvard, Columbia, Princeton, getting, you know, pretty consistently stronger kids, recruiting kids in tennis. And this, if that this happened, I think it would take it even in, to another level. Yeah, two, two points on that. Number one, yes, there's financial aid available. But I've run the numbers. I, 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 I use some numbers from Princeton. At a, a combined family income of between 175000 and uh, 350000 you're not going to be able to get financial aid. And those families can't afford $80,000 tuition, room, and board. No, no way. So they're getting right. squeezed. Yep. If, if the family earns uh, less than 100000 it's free. And, uh, up to like two one seventy five, it's like half price, but there, there's a whole lot of families, even, even two teachers at, at good suburban schools that are making in the aggregate, $190,000. And they're not going to get financial aid money from the Ivies. So that therefore there's no way they could send their kid there. Can't afford that. Correct. 80 to a hundred. So, right. right. So with scholarships and it, and, and it's important. A, a kid, a really good basketball player from Texas, just verbal to Yale, and I listened to his interview, mm-hmm. and he said, I just made a 40-year decision, mm-hmm. not a four-year decision. Interesting. Because there's yeah. no guarantee this kid's going to play in the NBA. He's, he's right. like a three-plus star player, right. but he's going to get the Yale degree, and that opens doors, certainly with your first job. 
No, absolutely. And it's the same in tennis. That is just fascinating. All right, but we've already gone over what I usually do, Richard. I try to keep it around 20 to 25. Uh, anything else that you want to uh, highlight? Because this has been very insightful and informative for me. I learned a lot. Is anything anything that I missed or that you want to add before I let you go? Yeah, what, what, one thing I want to amend on the 50,000 at Texas A&M, I'm, I'm looking right now, 4.2 million was brought in uh, to the football program. So I, I, I am not positive that it was divvied up at 50, 50, 50 to each player. Mm-hmm. We had the Nick Saban comments, of course, about Jimbo Fisher right. and, the, and the money that Texas A&M was getting and why they had the number one recruiting class. So I, I, I can't completely verify that it was 50,000 per player, but it's more money than any other school brought into their football program. That's, that's for openers. Number two, we need the NCAA to do something. The NCAA. Hey, good luck with that. They don't do anything. They do nothing. They do. That's why I, like, I'm not surprised when you said they didn't do anything. They're going to, they're only going to do something when they're forced to do it by law. That's, it seems to me where it's going. Do you, do you know, I'm not going to list a school, but a school near and dear to me about 15 years ago was penalized because a recruit was on campus until 6 5 PM on a Sunday, uh, which went beyond the 6 PM limit. For five, for five freaking minutes. And right now we're dealing with millions and hundreds of millions of dollars being paid to college students over the table, but in, in all kinds of different ways. Once again, with the wink and the nod and the NCAA is powerless to right. do anything. They're impotent yeah. to do anything at all. Mark Emmert, of course, is, has now left right. the NCAA. Let me, I, let, I, let, let, let me ask you one last thing. It just came, popped in my head. I think I know the answer to this, but I just want to be clear about it uh, because it does, again, relate to tennis for, for me and the people I talk to. So th- when you talk about the, the amount of money they can raise through the boosters, generally it's just specific to the one sport, right? There's a booster, that, well, they're, like at Alabama. Obviously, they're going to raise you know way more money for football. Uh, than they do for basketball or tennis. Uh, is that does it go into a pool just for football? Like if I'm going to give money to um, uh, Alabama, I'm going to say this. I'm giving you a hundred grand. This goes just to football, or could could it go to, you, to all sports? How does that work? You you as the donor can choose that either a it goes into a general fund uh-huh. for all sports, or B, it goes, actually three choices, or B, it just goes to football, or C, it just goes to football and only the quarterback. Gotcha. Okay. So, therefore, then, then it's up to, so the school really is involved in some way, because then they have to, they have to decide how to use that money. Right, no, the the money is being managed by what's known as a collective, okay. which is not which is not owned, started, or technically authorized by the school. It's usually made up of two or three boosters or an outside company that forms a collective. Do these boosters? Does this collective speak with the head coaches and say, "Hey, where do you need the money?" Right. Of course they do. Right. 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 But the school is not issuing an edict or sending a memo or an email saying we need our field hockey program to get $30,000 or else we're going to go under. Right. That's not right. going on yet. 
Interesting. But once the universities are involved, and I, I mentioned the three-year time period which, in which I think it's going to happen, then the schools will be directing the money to whomever they deem appropriate and whomever their coaches tell the athletic director really needs the money. Well, uh, the, the, what I've, what I've um, learned uh, from this, in addition to what I mentioned earlier, Richard, is is what you said rings even truer after these 35 minutes. It's not the Wild West. It's the wilder West, the wildest West out there. And uh, well, it's going to be fascinating to see how it all unfolds in the next few years. All I know is that college football uh, might be bigger than any other sport except NFL football. I mean, I think it's probably fairly close now at the NBA as far as just overall revenue that it, you know, that it brings in or you know, the economic engine that it is just, just amazing how huge it is. I I don't know the ratings for what I consider to be one of the five best games I've ever seen. I saw it on TV, Alabama, Tennessee from a couple of weeks ago, but I, I gotta believe the ratings were through the roof. And I mean, that, that place from what I can tell and from people I spoke with who were there was just electric. Yeah, it was jumping, that's for sure. All right, Richard Ken, everyone, longtime sports attorney, very much involved in this NIL issue in NCAA sports. Appreciate having you on. And uh, I'm going to, can you send me a copy of your book? I could see, I could read, I want to read my dad's forward on that. Of course. Sounds good. Richard Kent, everyone, here on Holding Court. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media. 